Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of physiologic changes in pregnancy found under the obstetrics section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with an introduction to physiologic changes in pregnancy. As a general overview, remember that many physiologic changes occur in pregnancy. These help to protect the mother from hemorrhage and help the fetus to develop properly. In particular, they ensure proper delivery of nutrients to the fetus. They facilitate waste removal from the fetus, and they ensure adequate oxygenation to the fetus. Now let's discuss hematologic changes in more detail. Patients will enter into a hypercoagulable state because there is an increase in the synthesis of clotting factors, and there is also venous stasis secondary to uterine pressure on the great veins of the lower extremity, and there is also reduced fibrinolysis. The plasma volume will increase by 30 to 50%. By 6 to 12 weeks of gestation, it will increase 10 to 15%, and by 30 to 34 weeks, it will plateau or begin to decrease. The red blood cell mass increases by 30%. Remember that the increase in plasma volume is larger than the increase in red blood cell mass, so this relative difference leads to a dilutional gap of 15 to 20%, which causes physiologic anemia. Anemia in pregnant women is defined as a hemoglobin less than 11 in trimesters 1 and 3, or a hemoglobin less than 10.5 in trimester 2. However, this number can be lower by 0.8 in African-American patients. These changes also mean that there is an increased demand for iron and folate. Patients will develop a mild neutrophilia. This is the result of granulocyte demargination. However, there is no absolute increase in leukocyte count. Patients will develop a slight thrombocytopenia. However, it will still be within normal limits and all of these numbers will return to normal 6-8 to weeks postpartum. Now let's discuss cardiac changes in more detail. In the first trimester, the systemic vascular resistance will drop beginning at around 5 weeks. The total drop will be by 35-40% to and it is due to progesterone-mediated smooth muscle relaxation. The heart rate will increase and the cardiac output will also increase. Remember that cardiac output is equal to heart rate times stroke volume. In the second trimester, the systemic vascular resistance plateaus, the heart rate continues to rise, and the cardiac output also increases. In the third trimester, the systemic vascular resistance returns to normal, the heart rate peaks, and the cardiac output peaks. Changes in position will also alter the cardiac parameters. When the patient is supine, the cardiac output decreases, the systemic vascular resistance decreases, and the heart rate increases. These changes are due to compression of the aorta in the vena cava by the gravid uterus, and the left lateral decubitus position will alleviate these stresses. There are also characteristic flow changes. This may present as an increased S2 split with inspiration, distended neck veins, a systolic ejection murmur, remember that diastolic murmurs are not a normal finding during pregnancy, and patients may have an S3 gallop. Complications of these cardiac changes can include dramatic shifts in cardiac physiology, which may result in high pregnancy mortality in mothers with cyanotic heart disease, and this can result in Eisenmenger syndrome. Now let's discuss pulmonary changes in more detail. Patients may develop a mucosal hyperemia. This means that there will be nasal stuffiness and increased nasal secretions. The tidal volume will increase, and the resting minute ventilation will also increase. This is driven by progesterone stimulation of the respiratory drive centers, and this results in chronic respiratory alkalosis with renal compensation. This presents as an increase in PO2 and a decrease in CO2, and arterial pH 
between 7.4 to 7.45. The tidal volume will increase by 50% by term. The functional residual capacity decreases by 20%. This leads to a decrease in residual volume and a decrease in expiratory reserve volume. The diaphragm will be elevated by the expanding uterus. The vital capacity, the inspiratory reserve, the forced expiratory volume, and maternal oxygenation do not change. Patients may also develop dyspnea of pregnancy. This accompanies normal pregnancy in the majority of women, and it starts in the first or second trimester. Now let's discuss the gastrointestinal changes of pregnancy. The increase in progesterone leads to a decrease in GI tract motility. There will be a decrease in the lower esophageal tone, which leads to gastroesophageal reflux disease, and there may also be constipation. There will also be a decrease in bile acid secretion, an increase in smooth muscle relaxation, and slowed gallbladder emptying. This increases the risk of cholelithiasis. There will also be an increase in cholesterol secretion due to the increase in estrogen, which also increases the risk of cholelithiasis. And hemorrhoids may develop due to the constipation and the increased venous pressure, especially with the uterus compressing the inferior vena cava. Now let's discuss renal changes of pregnancy. The kidney size will increase. The progesterone increases, which leads to a decrease in the bladder tone, a dilation of the ureters, renal pelvises, and calyces, and urinary stasis may predispose to urinary tract infections or pyelonephritis. There will be an increase in the glomerular filtration rate within one month of conception, and by the second trimester, it increases to 40 to 50%. Some patients will develop glucosuria, so there will be a positive urine dipstick. Remember that this means that a urine dipstick is not useful in managing diabetes. Some patients will develop proteinuria, up to 150 to 200 milligrams per day in the third trimester. This means that a urine dipstick may also be positive. Remember that more than 300 milligrams per day warrants further investigation. The serum creatinine and blood urea nitrogen levels will actually decrease. So a serum creatinine of 1.0 suggests renal impairment in pregnant people. Also remember that small increases in creatinine can indicate reduced renal function. Some patients will develop hyponatremia of pregnancy. Remember that this is not considered pathologic until the sodium level decreases below 130. Now let's discuss endocrine changes. The pituitary gland size and vascularity will increase, so remember that this increases the susceptibility to Sheehan syndrome. There will also be a decrease in fasting glucose, but an increase in postprandial glucose. Remember that the fetus begins producing its own insulin at around weeks 9 to 12. There will be an increase in thyroid binding globulin, this is due to the increase in estrogen, and this leads to an increase in total T3 and T4. However, free T3 and T4 should remain the same, so pregnant women will be euthyroid. There will also be an increase in cortisol and cortisol-binding protein. Now let's discuss the skin changes of pregnancy. Remember that normal skin changes during pregnancy can mimic liver disease. This is due to an increase in estrogen, and one may even note spider angiomas and pulmonary erythema. There may also be hyperpigmentation due to the increase in melanocyte-stimulating hormone, estrogen, and progesterone. This may be seen around the umbilicus, the perineum, the face, nipples, areola, the genital areas, and some patients may develop alinea nigra and melasma. Some patients may also develop acne, varicose veins, and striae. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to physiologic changes in pregnancy, let's walk through a question to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For this question, consider the following clinical scenario. 
a 27-year-old G2P1001 woman at 34 weeks gestation arrives to the emergency room with nausea, vomiting, and worsening right upper quadrant pain that began two hours after a pizza dinner last night. The pain is severe and constant, radiating to the right shoulder. A review of systems is positive for fever and chills. The patient does not endorse hematemesis or shortness of breath. The patient's temperature is 101.5 degrees Fahrenheit or 38.6 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 110 over 70. Pulse is 104 beats per minute. Respirations are 20 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 98% on room air. BMI is 30. Fetal heart rate tracing demonstrates a baseline rate of 140 beats per minute, moderate variability, and no decelerations. Abdominal exam demonstrates right upper quadrant tenderness as well as voluntary and involuntary guarding. When the right upper quadrant is palpated, the patient stops inspiring. The cardiac exam demonstrates a flow murmur. The pulmonary exam is unremarkable. Laboratory results demonstrate a hemoglobin of 11.5, leukocyte count of 17,500, bands that are 15%, platelet count of 225,000, a total bilirubin of 3, an indirect bilirubin of 2.3, and a lipase of 72. What physiologic changes of pregnancy most likely contributed to this patient's condition? And the answer choices are, choice 1, elevation of the diaphragm, choice 2, hypercoagulability, choice 3, increase in estrogen and progesterone, choice 4, reduced immunity to viral pathogens, or choice 5, upward displacement of the appendix by the gravid uterus. The best answer to this question is, choice 3, increase in estrogen and progesterone. The patient presents with classic symptoms of cholecystitis, postprandial right upper quadrant pain, nausea, vomiting, referred right shoulder pain, and fever. Her abdominal exam is significant for right upper quadrant tenderness and Murphy sign as demonstrated by the patient's breath catching during palpation of the right upper quadrant. Normal pregnancy-related increases in estrogen and progesterone generate physiologic changes that place pregnant patients at higher risk for gallstone disease. Both the patient's elevated BMI and pregnancy are risk factors for this condition. Increased estrogen leads to increased cholesterol secretion. Increased progesterone leads to decreased bile acid secretion and smooth muscle relaxation, slowing the gallbladder emptying. These hormone-induced physiologic changes increase the risk for gallstones and gallstone-related diseases, including cholecystitis in pregnancy. The presentation of cholecystitis is similar to its presentation in non-pregnant people. Treatment is similar to treatment in non-pregnant patients, and it involves IV fluid resuscitation, pain control, and ERCP or surgical management. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Elevation of the diaphragm occurs in pregnancy due to the increased size of the gravid uterus. However, associated chest wall changes prevent major changes in total lung capacity and would not increase the patient's susceptibility to any condition. Choice 2. Hypercoagulability occurs in pregnancy due to an increase in clotting factors and venous stasis from hormonal changes. Hypercoagulability contributes to HELP, which stands for hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, and low platelets, which presents classically with nausea, vomiting, right upper quadrant pain, headache, and anemia with schistocytes. Choice 4. Reduced immunity to viral pathogens is a theoretical mechanism for why pregnant women are uniquely vulnerable to certain viruses, such as hepatitis E. Hepatitis E presents with nausea, vomiting, right upper quadrant abdominal pain, malaise, fever, hepatomegaly, and jaundice. Choice 5. 
Upward displacement of the appendix by the gravid uterus can cause appendicitis to present in pregnant women in the third trimester with mid to right upper quadrant pain as opposed to right lower quadrant pain. In pregnancy, appendicitis presents with abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, anorexia, abdominal guarding, and fever. Murphy's sign would be unlikely to be elicited in appendicitis. Finally, a bullet summary. Pregnancy-related increases in estrogen and progesterone promote cholesterol secretion, reduce bile acid secretion, and slow gallbladder emptying, increasing the risk of gallstone disease in pregnancy. That's all for this review about physiologic changes in pregnancy. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.